Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 155. We'll continue in the Psalms with a brief summary of chapters 8 through 11 and follow with some thoughts about expressions and their life expectancy. Perspective swings wildly in chapter 8. First, up to the expanse of the universe, and then down to the petty affairs of humans, from the sublime to the ridiculous. Quote, When I see your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you fixed firm, what is man that you should note him, and the human creature that you pay him heed? And you make him a little less than the gods, with glory and grandeur you crown him. You make him rule over the work of your hands and all things you set under his feet. Chapter 9 starts out like it's going to be an acrostic, but quickly drops the conceit, instead drilling down from human affairs to the affairs of one human. Quote, I acclaim the Lord with all my heart. Let me tell you of all of his wonders. For this one man, God has come out in force, defending him against those that would do him harm, but that does not seem to be enough. Even though God upholds justice and is, quote, a fortress for the downcast, a fortress in times of distress, the poet continues, quote, Arise, O Lord, let not man flaunt his strength. Let nations be judged in your presence. O Lord, put fear upon them. Let the nations know they are mortal. Selah. Chapter 10 continues the theme of the wicked running wild, and this happens because God, quote, stands far off. The wicked trample the poor, scheme schemes, grasp for gain, blasphemes, speak with guile and deceit, mischief and misdeed. Quote, he waits in ambush in a sheltered place from a covert. He kills the blameless. For the wretched, his eyes look out. There is no justice. And yet, the poet does not despair. Quote, rise, O Lord, raise your hand. Forget not the lowly. Avenge me! Avenge me! Chapter 11 continues with the poet's unwavering faith in a just God. Even when the wicked destroy the foundations, leaving the righteous to wonder what can be done, the poet is resolute. For in the end, he believes that God will respond. Quote, he rains fiery coals in the wicked, sulfur and gale winds their lot. But for those that believe, quote, righteous acts he does love, the upright behold his face. And on that hopeful note, here endeth the lesson. The dictionary app in my MacBook defines idiom as a group of words established by usage as having a meaning not deducible from those of the individual words. In other words, it's an expression. The Tanakh is filled with them. This episode introduces us to another common one from chapter 8, quote, from the mouths of babes and sucklings you founded strength on account of your foes to put an end to enemy and avenger. In other words, well, the way it's used commonly is a bit removed from this context. When you say from the mouths of babes, you generally mean that children, being innocent, will tell you the truth. This is a great example of how a source gets tweaked and produces an idiom that goes on to mean something different than the original text. Here's another one. Jack of all trades, master of none. Most folks know the first half of the idiom, and they usually mean it as a compliment, meaning that Jack can do it all. But when you add the second half, 
the meaning is less flattering. The term was first used famously, or rather infamously, in print by Robert Greene in his 1592 booklet Greene's Groats Worth of Wit. He was referring then to actor-turned-playwright William Shakespeare, so Shakespeare's first published mention is a diss. So, okay, jack-of-all-trades sounds good, but the second half master of none means that Jack can do a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but he's not really an expert in any one thing. In other words, he's a dabbler, a potterer, a tinkerer, a dilettante, a trifler. Incidentally, the Hebrew equivalent is less equivocal. Tafasta meuba lo tafasta, or literally, you grab a lot, you don't grab at all, comes from Tractate Yoma in the Babylonian Talmud. In other words... And since we're talking idioms and Shakespeare, you know, Shakespeare coined many whole cloth. See what I did there? Whole cloth is a holdover from the days when material was handmade and very expensive. If a garment was made new from material that had been custom made, it was said to be made of whole cloth, not patched together. Anyway, Shakespeare coined many an idiom, like break the ice, dead as a doornail, eaten me out of house and home, for goodness sake, full circle, set my teeth on edge, wild goose chase, and wear my heart upon my sleeve. These coinages are largely divorced from a realm of experience, except perhaps wild goose chase. What I mean is that I don't need to be a farmer to appreciate what Shakespeare meant by breaking the ice. I just need to have winter. Which, if you live in the Northern Hemisphere, happens every year. Other idioms are context-specific. Many deal with agriculture, and being a city boy, the original meaning of the idiom would be as far from me as... Here are some colorful examples. A hard row to hoe. It's often misstated as a hard road to hoe, which kind of doesn't make sense. It refers to using a farming tool to work a difficult line of planted crops. In other words, it's something difficult to do. Beat a dead horse is rather self-explanatory, but it seems people back in the day didn't actually engage in the practice at any point. Dead horses feature in many idioms, usually as a non-source of farts. Here's one from 1659, quote, One may get a fart from a dead horse as soon as a farthing from him. Oh, damn! Mules also get blamed for various moral failings, stubbornness being the most common, and hogs are often condemned for being excessive and unable to fly. And when turned into bacon, that food product is often meant to refer to providing for one's family. Last one, sowing wild oats has come to refer to a young person running around having many sexual relationships, but its origins lie in the understanding that wild oats were a weed of no value, and to plant them or allow them to grow among cultivated oats was a fruitless, unproductive practice. In other words, sowing wild oats is a waste of time. Or is it?
And there are idioms about cobblers, tailors, and all kinds of crafts. Uh, Stitch in time saves nine, dress to the nines. The thing about idioms is that they linger even when the original context has long receded into history. So all you have left is the meaning, and either you get it or you don't get it. And speaking of getting it or not getting it, the Hebrew expression ha'asimon nafal, which means literally the asimon dropped, refers to the token you needed to make a phone call on a public phone in Israel. When your call went through, the asimon would drop into the coin box. I guess the English equivalent is the penny dropped. In other words, you finally get it. But when Bezek the national phone carrier phased out the Asimon in 1990 and refitted all public phones to accept telecards. The idiom remained in place, and now, when public phones barely exist in Israel, and there are more cell phones in Israel than Israelis, people still use the idiom to indicate finally understanding. I wonder, though, which idioms have emerged out of the present moment. Going viral quickly comes to mind. We're in deep shit, Billy. The virus is aerosolized. What are you talking about? It's going airborne. Colonel, would you excuse us? Certainly, sir. Meme culture churns out idioms hundreds of times a day, such as... This is so sad. Alexa, play Despacito. Oh, here's another one. Bye, Felicia. Or, thank you, next. No new friends. I would like very much to be excluded from this narrative. And my personal favorite, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. If you understand the meaning of the individual words but cannot deduce a meaning greater than that, well, you're not alone. UrbanDictionary.com tracks the evolution of language on its trending RN, that's right now, page. More than two-thirds of the idioms in the top 30 are usually sexual in nature. That's just kind of a thing with Urban Dictionary. But some idioms capture the experience of living in the present moment. But I wonder what the life expectancy of an idiom these days is. How many of these 30 mostly naughty terms will people still be using on social media next week or next year? Who knows? Does it matter? Language, as linguist John McWhorter often says, is always changing and evolving. The meaning of words and the way we use them changes all the time. What's truly amazing about the internet is how words and idioms can change every hour. So once again, as the poet tells us, from the mouths of babes and sucklings, we will find strength and many, many memes. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Send a friend an email to say, hey, would it kill you to check out TanakhCast? Or even better, write a brief review at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. It's a small thing, really, but it will help other people who might be interested in some Bible learning find this podcast. Or if you want to help in a bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for Episode 156, when we continue in Psalms with chapters 12 through 15. 